Welcome to a weekly look at all things high school sports around the South Plains. Powered by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Here's the Lone Star Varsity Podcast. And hello everyone, I'm Carlos Silva, the sports editor here at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, bringing you another edition of the Lone Star Varsity Podcast, so that means I've got Mike Graham with me, our high school sports reporter. How are you doing, man? Doing good, ready to get going. Absolutely, of course, as we record this in the middle of the week, uh, we got some games to preview and some games to kind of talk a little bit about uh, from last week, so let's start with that from uh, week five, uh, as it was going into last week. You obviously had Shallowwater-Brownfield, that was a game that we were really projecting to be really close, but uh, the Shallowwater Mustangs proving what I had thought earlier this year, and they are a very elite team. Yeah, I remember I, I got back from that game and you asked me how it was, or someone in the office asked me how it was, and said it was great. It was a yeah. great game, and, and the final score was 58-8 to Shallowwater. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a ton to be impressed with them about. I mean, they had guys playing out of position that were that were thriving. But I, I walked away impressed with Brownfield, too, because to begin the game, they got into the red zone five consecutive times. I mean, that easily could have been a 42-58 game, something mm-hmm. like that. And, and Shotwater did a really good job creating chances for itself. It deferred the kickoff and then kicked onside immediately to begin the game, got mm-hmm. that, ran in touchdowns. Hayden Vanderost rushing touchdown. Um, punt return touchdown interception in the red zone but I, I liked what I liked what I saw from Brownfield and I think they can be a competitive team moving forward uh, as they hop into district play with Brownfield I guess what really impressed you because I know kind of talking to you and kind of mentioning it 58 to 8 I know when you kind of look at it from a fan's perspective or you just kind of look at it from the outside looking in you're going to think oh it was a wallop but yeah. for, for I mean call me you can call me out if I'm wrong, but I think for about two and a half quarters, it was pretty close. It was like a three to four, three, 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 three score advantage or something well, at that they, point. They went to halftime down 28 to nothing. And, and, and honestly, the writing was kind of on the wall about what was going to happen. But the way they moved the ball, mm-hmm. um, their quarterback play, the receiver play, just the sheer size that, that Brownfield has, I think they're learning how to get it together. You know, this, yeah. this is a program that's been in kind of turmoil the past mm-hmm. two years with a different head coach every year. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Tolliver says he's going to be there for quite a while and yeah. establish a system. And I think that they're about halfway through that process as it takes about a season. But they're going to make the playoffs out of a four-team district, and, and we'll see how far they can run. And I have a feeling it could be a couple of rounds. Speaking of some other games that we covered uh, last week, I know uh, one was, of course, uh, Lubbock High Coronado. That was a game where Blair Conrad did Blair Conrad things. He only caught the ball three times, but each of those times was for a touchdown. And then, of course, he finished with 61 yards uh, receiving. What else haven't we said about Blair Conrad that can be said? I'm not really sure at this point yeah. because he's, he's such a pivotal talking point. I just remember we nominated him for Athlete of the Week. Uh, this past week, and we got a commenter back who said Blair Conright should be Athlete of the Week every week. And I think there's an argument to be made that he he could have won that award every week, and we were trying to hold off for something special with him. And I think yeah. three touchdown catches on three receptions in very limited time against Lubbock High because uh, Seth Parr decided to call off the yeah. dogs pretty early mm-hmm. in that one. Um, yeah, there's not much left to say about him other than I'm surprised that more colleges haven't moved in on him. I know he's a little bit small. 
Uh, right now, he's got nine offers. I think mm-hmm. Air Force is one of the highlights. Mm-hmm. Kansas, if yep. he wants to, if he wants to play in the Big Twelve, is a, is a highlight. But I'm, I'm kind of su- surprised that um, some of the Texas schools haven't taken a look at him. I think he could be a really good inside or outside receiver on the next level. We've seen small outside receivers before, but he looks like he's a natural fit for inside. Yeah, and not not only that, but then he's just got speed. Now it's not breakaway speed, but he's certainly got some speed that can obviously get you some big plays. And uh, where, where, of course, he had that 100-plus yard uh, interception return for a touchdown. He showed it there. But the one thing that you like about him is he's just a real headsy guy. I know Coach Parr always talks about just how smart he is in terms of the football knowledge. Not only that, but then just his hardworking attitude. And I think that really kind of translates to the college level where you kind of have to take it to to another notch. I know that that's one thing that – uh, high school kids that I still keep in touch with that do go to the college level, they say, when you thought you worked hard in high school, you have to work twice as hard once you get to college because everyone's good. It's not necessarily you're that one good kid on a team. It's everyone's good, and then you kind of have to step up your game to kind of separate yourself from those guys, and certainly I think Blair Conright's one of those that can do that. Last game that uh, we should talk about, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, Slayton Post. Slayton Post, that's right. That was a game where – Man, it was a lot closer than what we thought. Uh, I know you thought Shallowater Brownfield was going to be close, but this one's about as close as it gets. 16 to 15, Slayton continues its uh, good role, but Post shows that it can certainly tighten up the defense, and not only that, but it can still run the football. And I think uh, one thing that you have to like about Slayton, it may be the feel-good story of the high school football season, at least around here, but I think uh, Slayton is certainly a team to be reckoned with going into this year and uh and in the future. Yeah, honestly, I was kind of disappointed with, with their performance. You know, they're obviously bigger, um, and Post has had some struggles this year. So so I wonder, and I'm really excited to see how these two teams react over the next couple of games, because Post looks like it's beginning to put it together after yep. some early season struggles. Slayton, um, they've been really good uh, outside that game, even in their loss to uh, New Deal. I, I walked away pretty impressed with them. So excited to see how they bounce back from that one. And, and you know, it's also a rivalry game, so yeah. it's 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 just a totally different atmosphere. Pe- people are are about as up as they're going to be for that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to see how they move on and and not being there, but but reading the box and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Feel like Post probably um, is getting it together. No, I agree with that, and that's one thing that you have to like with Post. They have a longtime coach, Michael Pittman, who has set up a system kind of like uh, you were mentioning with Dwayne Tolliver. You kind of know what you're going to get. You're going to run the football, milk the clock, put the pressure on the opposing defense or opposing offense. Pardon me, with a with a uh, kind of hit you in the mouth type defense, and that's what they were able to do with Slayton, which is the whole reason I wasn't surprised by the score. I honestly thought it was going to be a real tight game. I know Slayton has a bunch of athletes, but that can be neutralized if you don't get the football a lot, and I think that's what happened in that game. And certainly Michael Pittman and his staff, and obviously his players should be given a lot of credit for that type of uh, result there because one, one one or two plays made, and it turns the other way, and the Antelopes get the victory in that one. But for now, the Tigers get a victory and uh, still – obviously in the uh, in the uh, minds of uh, many football fans around here in the South Plains. But speaking of in the minds, we've got a bunch of games. Week six, obviously you've got a pretty interesting game. I know uh, at first you were kind of wondering what, what, what I was thinking when I kind of sent you to this, but uh, Petersburg at Amherst, six-man football. Let's talk a little bit of six-man. Yeah, always exciting, always a fast-paced game, and I think we found two really good teams that are going head-to-head in their non-district finales when uh, Petersburg goes up to Amherst. Mm-hmm. And, 
And not only that, but uh, Coach Armando Solis from Petersburg, he's in his first year, uh, was at Spur last year. Mm -hmm. Kind of a homecoming. He's been all over the South Plains. And he's, he's going to Amherst for a game, and he knew some of the players when they were in middle school and, and really, honestly, probably helped them get that program off the ground to the mm -hmm. heights it, it's been at in recent years. You know, last year was kind of a step back, but the year before, I think they went 11-1 and 11-2. and mm -hmm. um, It's a very good program, and they play different than most six-man teams. They don't run like the Jaybird or the yep. T. They run the true spread yep. as much as you can um, and uh, they, they thrive on timing routes uh, and uh, and they've gotten big enough over the past couple of years that they can also run the football so it's going to be a big test for Petersburg. Petersburg's a division one team, division one team. Mm -hmm. um, Amherst is a division two team. Amherst has they both have four and one records. Amherst um, only has one loss, and I think that came to Ropes. Yeah, which Ropes has been pretty good, even though they have struggled the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to getting out there and seeing that one. The other thing that'll be a little bit interesting for you is uh, the press box situation, because I know uh, one thing I always enjoyed going to six-man games, they were always happy to see you, but sometimes the press box isn't big enough for the old uh, reporter. So it should be interesting to see just uh, your Twitter highlights and just kind of seeing how you're – how you're kind of uh, seeing the game from that sense. Because I know that there have been times where I've actually had to cover some games from uh, the stands, which fortunately on those days it didn't rain or anything. So we'll see how the weather treats that as well. But we certainly have some other games that will have some uh, really, really fun uh, implications. Just uh, the first one that at least comes out to me is New Deal Trinity Christian. Trinity Christian headed out to New Deal. Trinity Christian, of course, with Daniel Wheeler, probably one of our most dynamic TAPS players. I know Lubbock Christian has a has a couple as well, but I think Daniel Wheeler is really kind of where it's at right now just because he can basically be put in any position and really succeed. Yeah, and I think he's someone that they thought could be a college prospect coming into this season. He's a senior. I think he's at 518 yards, no, yep. 539 yards to um, to Blair Conright's 581, and he, mm -hmm. he only has 18 catches this season. So, like, I mean, yeah. each catch is going for, like, 40 yards. Um, really excited to see what he can do against what I think is a, a, a great uh, New Deal defense. And I wouldn't be surprised if in this game, which would be pretty interesting, I wouldn't be surprised – because DK Blaylock plays cornerback for mm -hmm. uh, for New Deal, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he matched head to head with Wheeler, and then you'd have two hot shot receivers going up against each other when Trinity Christian's on offense. Once again, uh, and and here's the other thing too is it's interesting because this is a situation where, like you said, New Deal kind of puts Blaylock on Daniel Wheeler. Obviously, that neutralizes your one uh, offensive threat, if you will. You kind of find out who are some other kids that can kind of step up for you. Because if you're looking at New Deal, if you do neutralize DK Blaylock, you still have Jet Whitfield. You have some other guys as well well that can kind of step up and do that for you trinity christian haven't really seen some other names at least when i look at box scores or just kind of talk to people uh, that are around that uh, district as well but i i think that's going to be the one interesting thing is can trinity christian diversify its offense because it may have to against a new deal squad that as you've mentioned uh, many times they really put it on early and then uh, they're just able to kind of just really kind of lull you to sleep with the defense that it has later on yeah i think new deal is a pretty big favorite in this game but I remember Sam watching Sam Davis last year for Trinity Christian. Mm -hmm. and he's a very capable receiver, and they've mm -hmm. got a good quarterback in Roman Thompson too. So I'm excited to see if if uh, if Wheeler can somehow be neutralized by DK, who's an Iowa State receiver commitment. Yep. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sam Davis get a lot of touches and up his numbers in similar fashion. Trinity Christian, I'm really impressed with them um, coming off their game last week when they played Carrollton Prince of Peace, which was just beating the brakes off of teams from Dallas and Trinity Slowed Christian. Them played down. Them, yeah, played them to a 10-point game. Yep. So 
Uh, yeah, I think I think this is going to be a good test for both teams, and uh, it's the non-district finale for both teams. Speaking of uh, some tests here, I know we'll, we'll get to some other ones. We, we obviously have Coronado and Abilene Cooper. That's going to be a big one. But one that really kind of at least stands out to me just – only because I'm going to throw it out there for disclosure unless you haven't picked up an Avalanche journal. I've picked uh, Lubbock High to defeat Paulo Duro. I just feel like Lubbock High is going to kind of put some things together for this one. I know Paulo Duro hasn't played that well. They have scored some points, but I feel like this is the one where we've talked about it before. Lubbock High is going to try and get try and just grind you out on offense. They're going to try and get 15 to 18 play drives, hopefully score the football, and then hope and then kind of just lean on that defense to kind of slow the offense down, which I feel they can because Palo Duro, yes, they have scored some points, but I, I just don't feel like it's been at a consistent basis, and I think this is where the Westerners can kind of take advantage, hopefully get Noah Gutierrez going and some of those other guys. Yeah, I'm torn on this game because Palo Duro is a 2-3 and three team with wins against Plainview and Borger, and, I mean, they beat those teams by more than 30 points. Yeah. Those are two, so those are two common opponents. Lubbock High lost to both of them by one possession. Uh, Lubbock High decided to tweak some things after the 44-7 loss to Coronado. And Noah mm-hmm. Gutierrez is not going to be quarterback anymore. He's moving out to the receiver spot. And they've got two fresh, sorry, two sophomores that, that they're, they've been working with in practice getting ready. I think that's going to be a good move. It's, it's sad because I, I think that Gutierrez is, is their most dynamic playmaker. And, good kid and i've really enjoyed seeing him have success this year but i think he can really help the team um at wideout because joe molinar has been coming on the past couple of weeks mm-hmm. now they can't double team molinar they're gonna have to um you know kind of kind of be balanced and wouldn't be surprised to see gutierrez thrive in this new position well not only that but i, I mean you, you just kind of look at the way obviously you want noah gutierrez to have the football in his hand you're going to be able to do that in different ways and not only that but then spread out the defense as you mentioned because you're obviously looking at Joe Molinar, you're looking at Noah Gutierrez, and then if you're able to get something out of your quarterback and running back spot because you're spreading out the defense to maybe make up for the fact that, hey, he's out wide or, hey, he's inside, that's certainly going to help your your offense, and we'll see how that goes out. But like I said, I, I, I just feel really good about this one. We'll see how close it does happen, but it uh, should be a good one. But speaking of one that's going to be another really, really good game, at least in – in in my in my estimation, even though Seth Parr just keeps talking about that offensive line, which is still kind of learning, I feel like Coronado's got a really good chance against Abilene Cooper. Yeah, no doubt. I, in fact, I'd consider them the favorite in that game. Um, this is a rematch of the 34-31 game they played at Shotwell last yep. year, and that was a true district championship game just by nature of it coming in Week 11. And um, Yeah, uh, th- there's a lot to like beyond Blair Conright, and, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to turn to the other end of the equation with Sawyer Robertson, the sophomore uh, 1,388 yards, 18 touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's the important number. <laughs> I, I know Seth Parr talks about it a lot. I mean, if, if you're a young quarterback, the one thing you don't want to do is kind of put the pressure on yourself, and the only way to do that is by turning the ball over. He has not done that, which is the whole reason that Coronado's obviously been in the plus because not only do you have Blair Conrad, but then you got a guy that is not turning the ball over and kind of taking Blair Conrad off the field, so to speak, but – it, it's just one of those plus-plus things, and I think once their offensive line gets things going and their running game gets going, I think that's going to be the important thing for uh, the Mustangs is if they're able to get Caleb Manuel going, I think they're going to be in a good position. Now, there, there, there's one problem about this matchup because we, we watched the uh, Monterey-Abilene-Cooper uh, game last mm-hmm. week, and, and Noah Garcia just torched Monterey. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even close. I mean, they put up 470 yards on the ground, I think, and – this is a Coronado team that's having to rebuild its linebacking that's core. True. Which, which that was is very a, true. Yeah, I mean, that, that was perceived as, as maybe their second biggest strength behind the the possession of Blair Conright because yeah. you had Trey Stevens. And he's some a, of the back end, yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, 
Trey Stevens is an armed forces guy. Braxton Osborne was leading our area in tackles. Mm -hmm. And uh, Charlie Robinson was our interceptions leader at one point. Um, and they're all out for this game. Mm -hmm. uh, Trey, they think he might be able to come back by the by district or area round of the playoffs. Braxton is just totally done. Yep. And uh, Charlie is week to week but will not play against Cooper. So there's an advantage for Cooper there. Uh, and wouldn't be surprised if it became a shootout. But they have a big negator. Um, on defense because they have D.J. Davis who's got mm -hmm. 11 tackles for loss. Yeah, well, the only thing is if you kind of go away from him, that obviously sets up some other things. But certainly a, a neutralizer where, like you said, if you got a guy where you can say, hey, go and get the football, and they're going away from you, obviously you kind of know where the football might be going. Mm -hmm. So that helps you in that so sort of sense for a game plan. Exactly. Anything else you kind of want to mention? I know uh, this has been a little bit of a quicker podcast than we normally do, but uh, – kind of that 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 uh interesting week as you've mentioned before where there's a lot of teams that are off it's going to be the the week where we kind of highlight the six-man game that's the whole reason i wanted to mention amherst petersburg i know that's going to be a real good six-man game obviously there's some other uh six-man notables uh i know you and i have talked about it borden county losing two in a row can't remember the last time that's happened yeah. but certainly uh i'm sure trey Ritchie and his coaching staff will figure things out and get them to the playoffs as they've done I mean, it almost seems kind of like death taxes in uh, Borden County getting into the playoffs. It seems like they, they, they're always in the playoffs. So I'm sure they'll figure things out and get that. But that's the one thing about six, man. You, you lose one or two guys, that really is a devastating deal for your season. I'm not sure uh, what their situation is, but certainly uh, we'll see how things turn out, especially after this weekend slate of games. Yeah. Uh, one that really sticks out to me is Seminole at Leveland. I, I feel like Leveland has got its – um, footing back. Yeah. Seminole's kind of been up and down, uh, but they got a win last week against Denver City. After yeah, the defense really wood. stepped up. Yeah, I think this can be a really good barometer game for, for both teams. Obviously, um, Seminole's now Division One mm -hmm. after being Division Two last mm -hmm. year. Yep. Uh, Leveland's the exact opposite. Um, Leveland has been putting it together, especially on defense. I mean, I think they have five of our top, five of our top ten tackles for loss guys that are from uh, Leveland, including Zach Betancourt at mm -hmm. defensive end. So um, excited to see how that one goes. And, and it's really strength on strength, I guess, because uh, most of Seminole's starters back from last year's mm -hmm. team, and there aren't a lot of them, yeah. are on the offensive side. And uh, not only that, but then you got a really good offense with Chris Gerber and company uh, for the Leveland Lobos. So should be a good one. As always, uh, you can kind of get all this information at Lone Star Varsity on Twitter at LoneStarVarsity.com, or you can go to LubbockOnline.com slash sports, and you can find all that information as well, as long as <clears> – pardon me – as well as – the uh, top 10 in the small school, big school, which Mike does every week, along with the stats that come out every Thursday. As he kind of alluded to, if you want to see where everyone's at, we do that every Thursday. And then, of course, we'll have previews and everything else on Friday before we get game coverage and all that other stuff going into Saturday, along with the state scores and everything else throughout the weekend. Anything else, Mike? No, I think we're good. I think we're, I think we're well covered, and uh, re I'm ready to get out there. Yep. And, uh, of course, as uh, always, we appreciate you all listening. This has been another edition of the Lone Star Varsity Podcast. I'm Carlos Silva, the sports editor here at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. For Mike Graham, we appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you next week.